This is the Good Neighbor Podcast, the place where local businesses and neighbors come together. Here's your host, Patricia Blondheim. Welcome to the Good Neighbor Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Blondheim, and today we have good neighbor Barbara Roundtree, and Barbara is the director of Cap of the Capital School here in Tuscaloosa. Barbara, how are you this morning? I'm really well. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's actually not morning. It's it's, it's afternoon right now. But um, tell me about tell me about your business. Tell me about Capital School. Well, thank you. We are are just in our thirty first year here down at Capitol Park, we have seven buildings on our campus that surround this area that was really the original city um, here uh, in Tuscaloosa. Uh, The Capitol was here from 1846 to 66, and it burned in 1923 after the Capitol had been moved to Montgomery. And it was a a women's college because, of course, the University of Alabama was all male cadets. So we come from a place uh, here, this location that's had a lot of legislative and then educational activity, uh, and we were founded in 1993. Uh, We're a multiple intelligence school, meaning that our school teaches all of the capacities that a child has in their head to learn, and not just the mathematical and English uh, or linguistic abilities, because when you and I were children, we thought we were we thought that that was the two hemispheres of the brain and everybody was just smart in those two ways. Um, even our tests that we took to get into college gave us a mathematical score and a linguistic score. And we thought at that time that maybe the people who were artists and musicians and architects, that they were just gifted in that way. But as it turns out from all the medical research in the last uh, 30 or 40 years, that all of us have abilities that are just untapped. So we are trying to offer all of those opportunities to kids. And that is so unique in the educational world. So not only do you have multilinguistic, you also have, you address every single um, style of learning that you can identify inside of the school. So there. It used to be, you know, you would go to school and you would either be thriving or you would be held back. Mm-hmm. But you've enabled um, children not to, to escape that classification by identifying their strengths. We really try to, because if you just focus on what you're not doing well, especially children get very discouraged and they just shut down. So we try to focus on their strengths while working on all those things that are deficiencies. But it's a it's a it's an individualized approach and we don't have grade levels. We report to parents what grade level your child is reading on or doing math or whatever. But the child is in an age cluster and that is usually a two to three age range. And that also kind of counteracts birth order, which is a very important influence. Uh, the kids who are oldest in each grade generally do better. So one year you get to be the oldest, uh, and then one year you you get to be in the younger group. So it it gives them a different place in the classroom. And what we're finding is that the more individualized you make your instruction, then 
the, the further the child can go. So we may have children who are nine or 10 reading on 11th grade reading, or you might have a, a 10th grader working on eighth grade math because that's something that they struggle with. So we, we try to meet them where they are and then give them uh, the opportunity to set goals because I think that's very important because usually, you know, when you got a B or a C in school, you didn't really know why. You just knew you weren't a nice student. So we give the kids help uh, in trying to help them understand what would it take to earn a higher grade and how much work will it take to, to earn that. And so um, that can be a long and slow process because most kids haven't yet developed that internal or intrapersonal intelligence to, to help them understand how do I learn and how long is it going to take me? Right. So they're not focusing on what I call the red pen, right? Which is the an indication of what, what they're doing wrong or what they're deficient in or um, right. what we need to, you know, what is, what is below, what is below the level of the assignment? Okay. Um, what you're doing is you're building strengths inside of all of these individuals. And if you look at, look at a flower, the way it opens, um, it's not one petal at a time, right? It's very individual. It opens sometimes slowly. It opens sometimes very quickly. Um, it opens sometimes only halfway. And then the other side, it's very, um, but treating children like that is, I think, revolutionary, Barbara. And it's something that I would love people to learn more about because it, in addition to that, you're also cultivating their linguistic skills by teaching more, more than one language, correct? That's right. We have Spanish uh, every single day for our children, starting uh, at um, one month old. And then we add German when they're uh, two and a half and they have that. And then um, we've had Mandarin um, up until the pandemic. And now, uh, sadly, we're, we're not offering um, Mandarin anymore. Uh, so we're trying to add that back maybe in a summer class. We have a huge summer program called Summer Explorations, and this is our 31st summer to run it. And that gives kids an opportunities to come to capital school, possibly just um, for two weeks. Uh, but it's a morning and afternoon program and it fits parents' work schedules. So we go 10 weeks across the summer in five sessions. So that's an opportunity for uh, kids to come and experience this kind of uh, a learning environment. I think that's wonderful. Well, tell our listeners about your journey, Barbara. How did you end up here at the Capitol School? Well, I moved to Tuscaloosa uh, for a job as a brand new professor at the University of Alabama in 1977 and came from um, Nashville, where I just graduated with my doctorate from Vanderbilt University and George Peabody College. So I came to the university and was fortunate enough to be hired by the College of Education and I taught there for 25 years, helping train teachers. I taught science education. And it was uh, a very, I think it's a very important, important part of the curriculum that often gets neglected because we're so focused on reading and math. So I was there for 25 years and had the opportunity to do a lot of consulting work all over the world with international schools. And just was so impressed by what I was seeing. And um, I got to do some post-grad work at um, Harvard and met uh, Dr. Howard Gardner, one of the professors there, who wrote a book called Multiple Intelligences, Intelligence Reframed. 
And he summarizes the medical research to show that all of us have ability. I mean, I have parents all the time say, oh, I'm not artistic. I can't draw a straight line. Well, if you'd had art, <laughs> do you think that you might have, have uh, developed that ability? Because your brain, if you're born with a normal brain, your brain has the capacity to do that. I mean, research says that children uh, in Europe often grow up speaking five languages and they have the ability to speak more because that's a, a time period when you're growing up that language is, is being developed and learned in your brain. So it it's possible. It's just that I didn't have that opportunity. I didn't go to a school that taught any other languages. My high school didn't even teach Spanish when I, I graduated. So we all have these multiple capacities within our brain to learn. And, you know, think about it. If you'd been born in uh, Costa Rica, you would have grown up speaking Spanish. If your parents had moved there when you were, you know, one month old, you would have, have, have learned that language as a mother tongue. So it was the opportunity, not your level of intelligence, that determined whether or not you could do it. Our children all take violin here starting at age three. I mean, third grade, the age of third grade, eight. So they start taking violin. So people often see us playing somewhere and they go, oh, what gifted students you have. Well, gee, all of our kids <laughs> learned to play violin. And it's kind of a peer pressure thing because, you know, your friends are playing violin and you try it too. It may not be the thing you love to do, but we did have a family that moved here for three years while the mom was getting a, uh, a doctorate. And she said, oh, no, my boys aren't musical. They don't need to take music. And I said, well, it's included. Let them try it. And her youngest son was in middle school. And in the three years they were here, he became our most proficient violin player ever in the history of the school. They lived in an apartment and he'd go home and practice in the stairwell. He loved it, loved it, loved it. So she was blown away that he had this musical ability. But once again, he had the opportunity to, to develop it. And that's the big difference. You know, if you never have the opportunity, that's going to be a latent uh, part of your brain that never got developed. How wonderful that kids can go here and they can exceed everyone's expectations just by being themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where else so, does that happen, Barbara? Well, it's a joyful place to be. That's for sure. Because you do get to see these little milestones and achievements. And every single day, you know, some kid is delighted. Maybe it's, maybe they are very bodily kinesthetic. And today's the day they got to go to gymnastics or swimming or um, volleyball or do one of the activities that they love. Um, we have a great PE teacher and, she has developed a, a, a running culture at our school so that the kids wake up and go, oh, Tuesday's running day. And so we have a huge cross country team and more kids from our school, a higher percentage from our school, attend the Mercedes Marathon, Children's Mercedes Marathon every February in Birmingham than any other school in Alabama because they love to run, not because somebody made them do it. And gosh, what a great lifelong skill to have to learn to run and enjoy it. That's going to help their, um, you know, physical development the rest of their life. Uh, it was certainly I never learned to do. I guess I could have gone running by myself. But to have the whole class and she rewards them with little uh, feet 
when they've gone some and they run a mile a week. And after 26 weeks, gee, you've won the, the, you know, you've run the distance of a marathon. Well, I was taught not to run and to sit quietly in my seat. There you go. There you go. Read was an appropriate thing. You, you could read quietly. <laughs> That's right. Read quietly in your seat and then put your head down. That's what I was taught to do. Um, but that tells my age, doesn't it? Mine well, too. We, we pretty much, I mean, we've battered a lot of the misconceptions about education away, but is, are there any misconceptions that stand out to you that you would like to put well, to bed? Because people call and say, I've, you know, I've heard about your school or know somebody who goes there and I want, and I know it's a school for gifted children. So I'd like to know where do I go to get my child tested for giftedness? so that we can apply. And I go, no, no, there's no criteria. You may see some of the evidence of a, of an artist or musician or athlete that you think, uh, you know, certainly that child is displaying giftedness in that area, but you don't have to be labeled to come to this school. And um, often we have kids who come because another school is not meeting their needs and they need to be taught on their ability level. But we also have kids who come to us who are not doing well in another school setting. And the parents hope that we can give them that foundation that will allow them uh, to, to do better. And I think that we have really worked on meeting these children's needs if they were failing in one subject or another. So I think it's kind of ironic that parents think we are, you know, the school for only those who've been identified um, gifted when we have you know, we hope we'll find some of your kids, kids uh, talents and strengths, but it's not that you've got to have that label. And I really kind of cringe when we label children so young because the potential is there for so much more than just that label. I think as a result, and I've been to the Capitol School during class change time and um, the, the hallways and the property rings with happiness. These are children who are happy because they are being um, they are being strengthened by the educational process and um, and the individual natures of the people inside of Capital School who who want to create the best human being, yes. not necessarily the best student, but to find what what the essence of that little human being is, and you can tell. You they do the to come to school. I mean, parents report to us that the little ones cry on Saturday that they don't get to come. And I heard a little boy just yesterday say, yay, I get to be the last one to leave at 530 because we do have after school. So they are happy most days to be here. And we are so fortunate that we have attracted the kind of faculty that we have attracted over these years. Uh, we are the highest paying private school in the state of Alabama with all the benefits that teachers should get, uh, including IRAs and, and retirement benefits. So we are doing our best to support our teachers because guess what? When you have capable teachers who love to teach their subject and their children, then the kids know that and they can feel that. And it makes all the difference in the world to have that person in the classroom. And, you know, we have teachers um, we are teachers with uh, teaching certificates and uh, master's and Ph.D. degrees. It, 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 it's going to focus on um, their teaching ability. And we are 
we have such a great faculty. I, I, I think I sent to you, I meant to, the um, AL.com report last month um, of the 25 top rated high schools in Alabama. And um, those are private schools. And we are thrilled to be on that list. Um, of the top 25 in the state of Alabama, we rank, ranked ninth. And we're the only one on that whole 25 list from, from our county. So we are thrilled. But the way you get the best high school is to have the best kindergarten and the best elementary school and the strongest middle school that you can have. Because then by the time they get to high school, they can perform at a much higher level. And all of our children, by the time they're 15, um, participate in the dual enrollment program, either in early college at the University of Alabama or at Shelton State Community College. So uh, when they graduate from high school, they can have 15, up to 31 hours of college finished. So that is a tremendous boost in their confidence that they know they can handle those college and career courses and be successful. That and they have the skills to create their goals and to follow them. I'm sure that affects them the rest of their life. And like I said, capital school, it's a fun place to be. And kids are happy and this, and you're happy and everyone's happy. But you got to be doing something for fun when you're not doing this, Barbara. What do you do for fun? Well, I'm, I love to read. So that to me is the greatest uh, enjoyment to, to get to read. I love getting, we have three grandchildren now, so I get to, to play with them. I've become much more familiar with Thomas the Train and American Girl Dolls over the, the last couple of years. And then I'm very fortunate that my husband has the world's best job. He teaches, um, he's the artist in res residence for a couple of different cruise lines. So the past few years, I've gotten to go with him on these wonderful uh, trips that a teacher could not afford normally and uh, and be with him when he's teaching art and getting to be on these cruises around the world. So I get to add travel to my list now in a way that I didn't when I was in the classroom. Oh, how marvelous. That is a dream job. It is. It is. Now let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about um, a hardship, maybe something that you've gone through that has made you a better um, person, a stronger person? Well, I have uh, a sad story to tell, and uh, it is the biggest professional disappointment of my life. And that is uh, when the school was started in 1993, uh, we were started as a private school, and all of our taglines was that we were poised to become the state's first charter school. And that was uh, in 1977. We thought it might just take two or three years for the state to pass the charter school legislation. It took the state 23 years to pass the charter school legislation. So we applied to be a charter school. Um, we didn't make, make it as the first one. We didn't make it as the second one. But we were granted our charter um, and we would be the third um, charter school in the state of Alabama. It would have enabled us to serve about 368 students, K through 12. It would have allowed our teachers to be on the state payroll and get state retirement and insurance. And it would have been a permanent um, you know, school, although the funding is just for five years. But after five years, you have to show that they are doing as well as the 
the median um, schools in Alabama, we thought we could probably um, do that without any difficulty. So indeed, the, the state awarded us a charter, gave us five years of funding and a nurse and librarian. And it was so wonderful. And we were ecstatic. And we met every criteria for the State Department of Education. And then the Alabama Building Commission called and said, and uh, where is your, um, bomb, uh, not bomb shelter, uh, hurricane tornado, tornado shelter, your storm shelter. It must house all storm of the shelter. students yeah. uh -huh, and, mm -hmm. and 55 kids and 55 teachers. And we went, what? The first charter school doesn't have one. They're just in a strip mall in Mobile. The second charter doesn't have one. And they said, yes, we grandfathered them in. But all new public schools in Alabama must have a storm shelter. Well, the, uh, the, the way the charter school legislation is written, it doesn't allow charter schools to access school bonds. And so McDonald Hughes has a beautiful new storm shelter just a few miles from us that costs $1.2 million. So where were we going to borrow $1.2 million for a storm shelter? So to say to you that I was devastated is it can't, because this was the goal we'd worked for for 23 years. So on March 20th, 2020, I gave back the charter that we'd worked so hard for. So. We are not a charter school. We're still a private school and we are doing the best that we can. <laughs> that's horrible. And, and that's shameful. Pretty disappointing. Yeah. Pretty disappointing because if I can't think of any other institution that would be a better charter school than capital school. And I'm sorry. Yeah. It's been a hard. Well, deal to well, um, What's the one thing let's, let's end on a happy note and okay. let's give our listeners the one thing that you want people to take away about capital school. Well, I hope that they know that we are a group of very caring and competent teachers and that we start at age one month and go all the way through high school graduation and that we teach almost every day of the year, that we've got that 10 weeks of summer explorations that I told you about. So we're always here and we're open 7.30 to 5.30. So if parents want to learn more about us, we're always here. Well, how can they how can they reach you? What's the best way to get a hold of Capital School? They can email contact at the Capital School or they can call us at 205-758-2828. Barbara, it's it's always a joy to sit down and talk to you. Uh, thank you thank for coming you by the so studio. Much, Patricia. I'm delighted to be included. Thank you for listening to the Good Neighbor Podcast Northport. To nominate your favorite local businesses to be featured on the show, go to gnpnorthport.com. That's gnpnorthport.com. Or call 205-809-4910.